Hello, Legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with Cub member Paul Walton, the co-founder of Flare Creative. Paul has been a member for over five years, and today, I discovered he's actually a genius. He taught me tons of amazing things around how to build a brand experience at each touch point with your client, something that he's an expert in because Flare Creative is an experiential creative agency known for challenging the status quo, working across major brand launches, brand activations, and, and all sorts of incredible events. Uh, Paul also demonstrated a brilliant example of how to diversify and pivot during COVID. Um, in an industry that was greatly affected by COVID, Paul found an answer and found a way through. It was just really a fun and inspirational uh, conversation. So enjoy the show. Man, you have been a member for a very long time. It has been a long time. It's been... When did Cubs start? About well, five. 2015. So these are six. We'll turn six this year. Yeah. So I think it was about four months in. It's probably when I joined. Fuck. That's very soon. That's very early. That's right. You were at our first birthday. I remember. I was at the first birthday on, on the harbour. On a, is that a, what it was? It was a boat. Yeah. And I took a lovely photo of you, which I believe is still your Facebook profile today. <laughs> yeah, but fuck Facebook. So I've got to stop swearing. I've been told. I've been telling myself I've got to swear less in the podcast, but I. I think I'm just speaking like normal, so I just swear. <laughs> and I read something the other day that apparently if you swear a lot, it um, it means that not only are you incredibly smart but also that you're very honest. Very I don't know honest. where I read that. I think I read – I can't remember. But Did you write that? No, no, it wasn't a quote from me. <laughs> I actually think I saw it on Roxy Jusenko's Instagram <laughs> and um, that, that would make sense that she would post that too. But, um, but yeah, but what I was saying was I'm I'm – uh, boycotting Facebook. I'm going to delete my my Facebook completely. I don't think anything good can come out of me having Facebook. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a bit hard for us when we're trying to run our socials for our businesses on it. But uh, Yeah, but your personal Facebook. I'm not yeah. saying I'll delete Cubs Facebook. Yeah. yeah, that profile picture is me in front of the Cubs first birthday yeah. cake, isn't yeah, it? Don't delete that. <laughs> I'll just frame it and put it up. I'll put that in the clubhouse. Yeah. Um, man, I'm very excited to have you here. I can't believe it took us this long to get you here, but you, you seem to be a very busy man lately. Um, and that's because uh, obviously you've gotten a, a, a few new companies off, off the ground. One of one particular I really want to talk about today, which is Flare Creative, um, which do you want to do the introduction of Flare or do you want me to see what I memorized? No, let's see what you right. remember about it. It's that. an experiential creative agency known for challenging the status quo um, um, for work working with some of, uh, with some of the biggest brands across brand launches, uh, brand activations, and something or another, a bunch of stuff, really. bunch of yeah. things. Basically, we host kick-ass events that make people that that people remember because of how it makes them feel. Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, so I don't have to remember things. I say I'm better. <laughs> so basically, yeah. So Flare um, is a experiential creative agency. So we started out in events. So my background is in uh, production of events. So um, Going back uh, from high school days when I used to DJ at kids' parties and then getting interested into lighting and audio at, in theatre. Um, and basically I, I studied um, at, at NIDA, at the National Institute of Dramatic Art, studied theatre in production. 
And uh, I was going to say, you, you, you acting? No. So NIDA, like we actually say NIDA stands for no, I don't act. Okay. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so we, uh, I basically uh, I did lighting design and production in theatre at NIDA and uh, loved theatre but really events was my calling and so went on to uh, major events. So I think one of the first jobs that I ever did was the Melbourne Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. So I was the assistant uh, technical director for that event and uh, just moved on from there. So Events is your thing. And event, it's very yeah. much the technology side of events is what you're saying, no? Yeah, so um, the technical side but then um, also the creative side. So trying to blend the what we can actually do with technology and make the experience, you know, go to a whole new level by keeping on top of the current technologies and also using a lot of old, old technologies from even from you know, the 1800s or 1600s and how do we take those philosophies and, and bring them into what we can do today. One thing I really want to focus on today for, for this episode is very much how brands, how how business owners can create, like map out, like what, what, how did you say it? And map out your experience. Experiences, yeah. And I definitely want to focus on that. Um, but before we do that, I really want to hear more about your story, kind of how you start, why you started. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? I, um, yeah, I think my first gig was in the playgrounds when I was, probably around year one or year two, um, hustling, uh, selling stickers, uh, little lunch, big lunch, you, you name it. Uh, really? A whole bunch of stickers. You're flicking stickers in the Flicking stickers until I got into trouble by one of the teachers and uh, had to give all the money back, but I didn't get the stickers back. So I think, see, like it's just something that's kind of in you, like people yeah. like yourself. and Definitely. And I had a similar thing in that as I got into high school, um, I actually started organising the school dances for the years below me and, and made money off the school. And um, <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, it's in your – some people just born to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And But what I have also learned from this podcast and, and having the privilege to get to know so many members so much better, obviously I know you but a lot of them I don't know, um, is that actually that's not always the case. Some people literally just fall into business and it's really interesting to see the different kind of ways and reasons that, that kind of people um, people get – get into it. Some are born to do it. Others do it out of desperation. They, they, they need more in life. They, they, they haven't got anything. I've got nothing and I want something. You know, that's what I'm, I'm going to do that. And, and others mm. literally just slip into it. They're just doing something and accidentally they fall into it and, and they, they continue with it. So it's, it's really amazing to see that. And, and uh, your first, so when you joined Cub, the, what was the business called? So, I should know this, but. So that, that, um, business which is still around today is called uh, fusion entertainment so fusion is a audiovisual uh, production company so we have all the lighting and audio equipment to do concerts like up to five thousand people so big concerts big sound systems um that's still running but currently on hold because yeah. there's not really many events <laughs> a happening. bit of hiatus yeah and but how so so that was the business and that's because you got into it was the it was the tec- technical side of events yeah. was it yet the creative or not yet no still the creative but the creative from the technical side so my thing was always about large scale events so uh, big stadium events um, I was involved in like I said the Commonwealth Games the Asian Games in Qatar um, the Easter show the Royal shows in Melbourne and in Brisbane um, all around the world doing a whole bunch of big stadium events and it wasn't just one element. So my experience was both the lighting, the the music, um, the fireworks, the design, the fireworks show, put together the whole aspect of the event. And so I sort of moved into more of a, a creative direction role or technical direction role across that's, the whole thing. That's super cool. In that type of business, say the event business, 
what do you think is the most important thing that you can have that would make someone hire that your business or mm. you be your client? Like what's the, uh, like I was chatting with Emma Bloomfield about, you know, why would someone hire us? I actually can't remember what she said, so that was probably no cruddy. But, you know, what's the most fundamental? Um, Good question because we hired her. Did you? <laughs> yeah. You guys work together, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, does she help you with your events now too? Yeah. So Emma uh, helps us with styling the events. So um, whenever we do a corporate event, we need the uh, the table centerpieces, the the chairs, the Oh actually. wow! So she styles all your events then. Yeah, a lot I'm of probably them. butchering what she actually does. Whatever, but, <laughs> but huge, huge cub success story. We want to highlight and yep. and um, and and so what was what do you think is the most important thing of your business or the most important thing that you could could uh, market towards your clients? So it's really about the it's the storytelling. Everyone always says that you know everything's about storytelling. Tell a story. Um, what we like to say is it's we're actually story makers. So we make the story. So it's all about experience and and thinking about you know how do we take uh, the client and the client's guests and the end audience on a whole journey throughout the night if it's an event or everything from the moment they receive the invitation to when they show up, what happens at the event to when they leave and after the event. So the whole thing is mapped out. You look at the whole event in in uh, from the outside as one. It's it's one experience made up. Uh, by multiple small experiences exactly. to leave you with one giant taste, a, a beautiful yeah. one that makes you, hey, uh, uh, have you done, uh, like who are some of the people you've done events for? Um, so Ferrari is one of our, our okay. big clients. Cool. So Let's use them. Yeah. So I, I went to the Ferrari event because of you and the experience, This the small experiences that made up mm. one kind of taste, we'll call it, of, of the event. Yeah. I now like the taste of Ferrari after yeah. the event. It's kind of the effect you want to go for, no? Yeah, we want to surprise and delight them at every point of the way. We want to do something different. So when you're launching a car, there's only so many ways that you can reveal a car. So we're mm -hmm. trying to push the boundaries and, and get people to want to be taking photos and video and then pushing onto social, um, get people talking about it for weeks and months to come. So And really that's something that every company can – sit down and map out for their customer journey. No? Yeah, yeah. So we take a, I, I take a, um, a, a lead from the, the gaming industry. So they have a thing called experience points. And so this point is when um, one of their gamers um, completes a challenge, finds an Easter egg, um, finds something unexpected in the game, um, levels up to the next level. So they actually map out these points and you have to go through these experience points in order to get to the next level of the game. So if we take that philosophy and then put it into our business, um, both in our sales and um, in, in the events aspect about how the, the customer goes through the event, it's about mapping out each time they're going to get to this new experience point. So really like I could map out the membership life cycle of a member yeah. and create experience points for each life cycle. Yeah, exactly. How come you never sat down with me and helped me do that? <laughs> have, you any, have you ever spoken to any of your team about getting involved in creating the experiences for members? So I think this like is for, for, yeah, from Cub. I always you know, have a two cents to say every now and then. But it's, uh, it, I guess this um, gaming philosophy is something that I looked into only recently. Um, and so I think it's just a very good way of actually mapping out the customer journey but actually – getting the, the customer to go through these points and it can be both high and low. So, you know, for example, when we're telling a story, we don't always want it to be high the whole way through because that's quite exhausting and might put some people off. You actually want to have a low point 
like in a movie or in a song, there's always a low point, something mm-hmm. bad or sad happens and that makes the next high point even higher. Uh, I read this thing once that Disney movies all have the same, uh, I, I think they called it the Disney timeline or whatever, and Disney movies all have the same um, kind of sequence of events, which is yeah, um, character starts, ma- main character starts in a bad situation. Mm. You know, Cinderella, for example, is in the basement with a evil mum and sisters. Then the situation gets slightly better. It goes up, like the swing goes up and yep. the situation gets slightly better. It's looking good for us. Yes, Cinderella, it's so good. You got your glass shoe and the prince likes you. And then it goes vroom, lower than the first point. Yep. So it, it swings down. Now she's she now she's been found out. Her evil stepmom's trying to kill her probably. Who knows? And then it ends and then it turns around, swings back up and it ends on its highest point. And so that mid kind of higher, all the way down, all the way up yep. is, the, is yep. the Disney movie timeline. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about though? Yeah, so you need to have this break. You need to, you need to go down, you need to plan your emotions. It's a whole roller coaster. Like you can't have highs without having lows. You can't be happy all the time without being sad. Yeah, there's balance to life. Yep. And, and so what's the process someone like myself or any business owner could kind of do to map out their own experiences like what, what's a process that you you use I, I know that's quite a hard question but yeah I guess it depends on on the actual you know, context of what we're talking but you, you always want to look at every single touch point and so um, you know, when do you first uh, talk to the client and so this could go back into your marketing so what is the experience that your potential your prospects are going to have with you from your marketing from before they even know who you are so let's start all the way back there and then every time we're communicating to them Every time they're, they're seeing something from us, how do we make an experience? How do we deliver more value to them? So step one, map out every touch point they have with, yep. with you. Yep. Step two is wouldn't you want to decide um, what, what experience you actually want for that touch point? What's the purpose of that touch point in order to identify what the experience should be? Well, why don't we start with what we're already doing? So then we can work out where we're going to go from there. So uh, we can map out what we want. But if that doesn't align with the mechanics of how they're interacting with us, then maybe it's not the right place to start. So maybe we identify something new, like we didn't realise that, you know, people are actually spending a lot of time looking at us or experience us or engaging with us at this point. So maybe we should do something more there to kind of blow them away at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like, for example... Um, you don't want to. You don't want to make the purpose of the touch point completely different to what you do. So if it's Cubs welcome evening, for example, um, we, we obviously want to make them feel welcome, like they're part of this new business family of theirs. And our experiential touch point, the purpose of that experiential piece, mm. may be um, oh, we want to make them feel like they're part of a family. Which means when you walk in, uh, which is basically how we've designed it, when you walk in. Everyone comes up to you, says hello, you feel welcome straight away. You walk through and there's all these amazing people having a laugh, having a smile. You, you, know, you, you know exactly where you're going. You, you, you walk to, I don't know, wherever, whichever group, whichever welcome evening group you're in, you get escorted straight there. So there's no like um, uh, no lost moment. You're never feeling out of place because you, shouldn't, you never feel out of place with family. Yeah. So, so you know, that's kind of how I guess that would be kind of good experience in, in, yeah. in regards to what we're doing now. Yeah. And then how do you blow them away? How do you do something for them that they did not expect? I haven't figured that part out yet. And it could be something small. So there's the, you know, the power of small, do small things but unexpected and that will create such a high impact. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. So deliver the experience should match your brand and what your message and what you're trying to achieve. But then not just should you deliver, not should just your service be on brand with what your communication is, but hey, I'm going to give you a little surprise too so you like me even more. Yeah, exactly. It could be something like, um, you know, we're all quite uh, family orientated and we, we enjoy charity and we want to give back to the community in a wider sense. So maybe what's something you don't talk about until you know, people show up on the days. Well, by the way, because you've showed up today, um, we've actually donated um, education for a year for someone overseas. In and they weren't expecting that, so now you've you've because of them joining, you've you know, done something positive. done something positive, and it's it, you know, it's unexpected, and it's um it's making a difference on the world, and it fits in with your brand. That's very cool. I like that. And and so then the Ferrari event. Walk us through what your mission was when being assigned that event and, and how you achieved it. So the first thing is um, the client will come to us and say, we have a new car that we need to launch. Um, this car appeals to this demographic of our, our clients. So we're going to have, I think, the one, one of the ones we did was, say, 400 people attending the event. Um, and that's, you know, pretty much it. That will give us the, you know, the style and the, the, the philosophy of the car and, and what it means. Um, and from there, we basically have to start brainstorming. So we have to find the venue. We have to find, um, you know, the caterers, uh, put in the, all the production, come up with the whole concept of how we're going to launch this car. And so uh, basically with Flair, there's uh, three business partners and we all have a different part to play. So my partner, Andrew, who, who you know, mm-hmm. um, he – he deals with the clients and will have the first conversations with with uh, the clients. Uh, Ian and my other partner and Andrew will, will come up with a whole bunch of ideas and then sit in the boardroom and they'll you know, spill everything onto me. And then basically uh, my job is to kind of get what the approach that they were coming from and then include the technology and ideas that I have to try and make something that's new and innovative. So what was the experience you wanted people to have? have or what was the emotion you wanted them to have from this Ferrari event? So this particular one, so 400 people arrived, they walked down a red carpet that was probably about 40 or 50 metres long. Um, In the dark, in the middle of the red carpet, there's an engine block from one of the Ferraris and it's all lit up. So they have a look at that. And they basically walked into this black box that uh, in the the middle had this five metre high um, floral centrepiece. So, it's, so, and what were, what were the reasons for this? So, why did you do? I'm trying to understand. Yeah. So, what was the total emotion we wanted to achieve, and what yeah. so what what does each point do? So, what's the long walk do? Makes so, them tired. <laughs> well, they can't get out, can't get out of the event because the Ferrari owners they're all probably old rich dudes and don't train so anymore because they're rich. They oh fuck, I, I'm stuck here. I can't get out. I may as well buy a Ferrari. <laughs> That's genius. So, the purpose of this was was. Um, a few things. So we kind of want to disorientate them a little bit. So they're walking through this dark tunnel of lights that's just a red carpet. They don't really know where they are because they can't really see anything other than where they're walking. They're expecting a red carpet and then a media wall. There's like, there's a cool engine block there. That's kind of nice. And they get into this black sort of room with a big floral piece that is like unbelievably stunning. So they walk in and they're like, wow, look at this. They're blown away by this centerpiece with this bar underneath it and they think at this point what we want them to think is wow this is awesome and that's it so and also they like you said disorientated they've just walked yep. 50 meters into this new world this yep. black box it's a whole new world they have no idea what's going on yep. 
So then more people show up and the event starts and then basically there's a presentation with the screen and everything happens and the CEO jumps up there and says, we're launching a new car. And then all of a sudden the lights go completely pitch black. So what we, what we do is disorientate people even more. So now they're like, what happened? Did something just go wrong? All the lights are gone blacked. Um, we then light them in their eyes, blind them, go black again. Videos caught and playing, playing with their sort of what's happening with them. All these experiences, is something going wrong or I can't really see now I'm disorientated. And then in one of the black moments, we actually dropped all the black curtains around this box. So there's 60 metres of curtains that are around the, the drapes around the box that we drop in the middle of black. And then we open up and they're like, oh, wow, we're in a bigger room than what we thought we were. Because, because now they can see the room with the walls of the curtains. Yeah. And so basically from that moment on we actually uh, exposed the next uh, part of the room where there was I think seven or eight of the uh, cars from the past 30-odd years in this series and we lit them up one by one. So this is the first one in the series and the second one and just spoke about you know, what was the heritage of this car that we were, we were launching. And so people had this whole, you know, uh, journey through the timeline of the cars, actually seeing the cars there in this greater space. But then where's the new car? We can't see it. So then again, lights go black, play a video that's actually introducing the new car and then it's dead quiet, nothing. At this point, the engine starts revving and what people didn't realise is that we actually hid the car underneath them. And so everyone was raised up on a, on a massive, uh, I think it was about a 300 square metre stage and we hid the car underneath them. So while it's silent, the car starts revving and people start to realise, oh my gosh, it's underneath me. How did, what, what, where's this coming from? And then the car drives out to reveal and then we invite everyone down. Yeah, to oh my the car. God, they just gave me goosebumps. I've got to get you to organise my 30th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. It's awesome. And you know what is so cool about that? It, it also, like before showing the latest model and obviously showing it in a way that's like, <clears throat> under you like you'd be freaking out you you went through the other series basically showing this is this has been decades of engineering mm. design effort to get this car you know this isn't just we haven't just built a car it's taken us a year this is taken a hundred years yeah i don't know how old ferraris but a yeah. hundred years yeah to do and you're about to buy a hundred years worth of engineering and design and then the fact that it just starts like roaring under you, it's like, whoa, there's a beast. Done. Like what's Ferrari's thing? There's a stallion under me. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Man, my 30th. You in? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I won't pay you, but. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. That gave me goosebumps. So it's all about taking on people on this journey and this unexpected journey. So the first part of what I explained about the event was just like a normal event. Like, yes, there were some wow pieces in there. And so like you said to me, what, what were they feeling? Like I didn't want them to feel too much because what we were revealing next was going to take them to a whole new level. Yeah. So they were wowed. They walked in. It was okay. They were wowed with this massive centerpiece and these cocktails being served and everything. And then it dropped down and it went up again. And so we, you know, that's the whole concept of taking people on a story. Like there are ups and downs and we're, we're exciting them at every point. Yeah, that's very extreme though. How can you do that? Obviously, which is why it's a great example, but – how can you do an up and down at something simple? So let's say maybe I am – what's like an average business? Like a 
an average business. It's like a normal business. Let's use Emma. We're already talking about Emma. <laughs> so Emma is by average, I mean like there's it's Emma is like, average. It's a business. It's, <laughs> Emma is an exceptional human being, one of my favorite humans on the planet and one of the, in my opinion, best and coolest female entrepreneurs I've ever met. Yeah. Um, but she's in um, um, design. She's in styling. Yeah. Right. That's, yep. that's a business you can relate to. You know, it, it, she, so what's something Emma could do that's not obviously that lavish. That's why I should just always use Cub as the example, not try to use other pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, oh, maybe we should change. I'm like, nah, man, always stick to it, you know. But but you know what I mean? Like what can you do as a as a as a normal business, mm. as not Ferrari who doesn't have millions of like so let's say I am <laughs> to use another another non-cub is let's say I own a service station. Yeah. And I'm uh, got my checkout people who are yep. obviously charging people with petrol and chips um, and someone walks in, they're buying a bag of chips. How would you surprise and delight that person? Well, you could have some kind of offer where they didn't even know that was there. Which right? is what they do. I just realized. Yeah. They're like, hey, by the way, you know, if you get two of these, you actually pay less. I'm like, holy shit, you serious? <laughs> so maybe on like it's, it's harder to do on a, a low value product because you don't have a lot of room to build in mm. the cost of this. But if you take, if they did buy that bag of chips and he said, oh, by the way, you didn't notice, but you actually get this pack of gum for free. That's a surprise and delight. It's, yeah, it's, it's simple. It's simple. Yeah, or you can use a surprise and delight as also an upsell, which is basically what the, man, petrol stations are genius because mm. they're like, it's a surprise and delight. It's kind of like, hey, by the way, you can get another one of these and it's only 50 cents extra. So yep. technically you're spending more money. Yeah. They're moving more product and you're kind of happy about the fact that you just got a really 50 cent bottle of Powerade, which normally costs three bucks 50. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty genius. That is a great example of surprise. I'm happy I went down the petrol station thing. And and obviously Flare is relatively um, – oh, sorry, Fusion yep. is relatively uh, new. How long ago Flare. did you – Fusion's old. Flare's oh, my new. God. <laughs> I've got to stop podcasting. <laughs> so which one's the new one? Flare. Flare yeah. Okay, so Flair's how new is Flair? Um, so Flair was basically a concept that I had around for quite a few years. So the idea came about from uh, when I was on my own in Fusion and the majority of our clients were event managers, PR companies, marketing agencies, so people who are the middle in the middle and not the end end user. And so it got to the point where I felt like, uh, people didn't quite understand technology and they were pitching ideas to the end client and signing off on things before they would approach us to deliver. To check, hey, is this possible? Is it possible in the you know, physical constraints of the building, in the budget, um, or is it? do you have any better ideas? Because often we do. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically I thought, look, how do, we, how do we get into that bit of the market? So how do I c- create my own client is what the concept was. But I didn't want to do it by myself. I have too much to do. Um, and then my friend Andrew um, basically had finished up in a role and was available. I pitched the idea to him. Um, and then another friend of mine, Ian, was also around. So we, we got together. We started uh, Flair and Ferrari was our first client. Um, okay, so I, have two, I have a few questions then. Yep. I want to get to how you got Ferrari as a client because that's a lot of I mean, quite, quite simply, it's through relation, existing relationships and, and proving and pitching on good ideas. So. Yeah, networking. But, but uh, I want to hear the actual process, how that happened. But when, when, de- when designing Flair, you really solved your own problem. You yep. had a problem which was, all right, well, I'm dealing with the kind of event manager who's dealing with the client. 
So the event managers communicate client things and then I'm going to have to come and solve their problems that yep. they've communicated. Yep. Screw the event manager. I almost want to, I want to be the event manager so I can deal directly with the client. Yep. Probably making you more money because you clip, you, you gain the money from the event manager what they're clipping from the client. Yep. And uh, improving your business model. Yeah. And that's what you did basically. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. It's awesome. And so then what's the story of how you actually got Ferrari as a client? So um, I think it's, we probably started the business about two and a half years ago. It's a bit hard to tell COVID timelines these days, but um, so we, we had all worked on Ferrari events in the past um, through contracting to a bunch of other companies and the contract for one of their events was up. And so it just, it was perfect timing where we could get together and actually um, use our unique skill sets to come up with these unique ideas. And so basically it was um, getting our foot in the doors because we had an existing relationship, but then it's our ideas that got us over the line. Just the creativity. And the yeah. fact that you could probably communicate them best because you know how to do things. So you had the advantage – so you had a selling advantage over your competition. And what you actually did was something that um, a, a member – uh, we, one of the members who's a, a really big investor, a really well-known guy, um, was telling me when he is looking at buying into companies, he looks at the finances and the business model and he says, where are there leakages? So where are other people taking money that I could take, basically, yeah. in, in the model, in the dealings of us with other clients? And you basically said, hey, there's a leakage, whether it be with or without knowing, uh, there's a leakage in the fact that the event planners – are, are um, you know, taking a percentage of the money that yeah, we could take. Sure. And we could improve our process. But really any business can do that. Yeah. You know, who in our – what in our business model sends money out? And you see how all the corporates do it. They start buying the arms of businesses that work around them and therefore just creating this this kind of monster. And, I mean, it, whether or not be that be super relevant for um, growing businesses, it's something to kind of keep an eye on because – uh, if you're getting bigger, maybe that's where you can put money towards towards purchasing yep. or doing that type of yep. uh, type of thing. And, and you have to do it in a way that um, doesn't uh, put off your existing clients as well. So essentially, I I created a company that is now competing with my other clients from Fusion. Mm. So luckily, we have good relationships and we you know, good models and ethics where we don't go after work from people that are our clients and people who we know. But essentially, that's what we've done. We could create a competitor for our clients. And so would you say that partnerships and relationships has been a key to how you operate the business or to your success? Yeah, definitely. So um, from there onwards, um, Ferrari was obviously a good place to start in the luxury market. And from there onwards, we're able to leverage that brand um, to you know, work with other brands. So example, this um, this event I just spoke about with launching this new car, um, we would have um, – caviar tastings and so we we work with caviar suppliers um i think it was simon johnson um to do the caviar and then that sort of leads into uh champagne and so we work with Pernod ricard so they would come down and do champagne tastings to the guests there and so then that builds on relationships of those companies so then we start working with those companies because they've seen us working on another event and that sort of the partnerships in terms of the brand space just leverage on on each other. And so what you're saying, so for example, uh, Pierre Ricard, who owns Mum, is that how you say it? Pernod Ricard. Pernod Ricard. They own Mum. Yep. Mum. Mum. Champagne. Mum. Yep. Mum. Mum. And um, they, they obviously host events themselves. 
Yeah. And so they could come to you now seeing your event mm. and your relationship with them. Hey, can you host ours too? Yeah, exactly. And we're actually hosting one at Cub in a few weeks' time. So, oh, are you? So we're doing a, uh, a mum champagne tasting. Mum. Mum, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that gives us access to um, a whole bunch of products that you can't even buy at, at the shops. So when we do this uh, event in partnership with Cub and Mum, uh, we'll be opening bottles of champagne that you can't go and buy. So. Oh, that's super cool. I didn't know this was happening. Sorry. And and um, obviously you love alcohol, not because you're a drunk, but because you actually <laughs> also own an alcohol business. Yes. Um, which is one of the reasons why I'm assuming you're very time poor and, and, and look to, to gain business partners. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about that? Because I remember when you started that thinking, God, this is an odd idea <laughs> for this guy. But it's actually turned out right, eh? So, yeah, this was before we started Flair. Um, I started a company called Secret Bottle, which is a, a wine tasting subscription club. So it's a monthly wine club where we send out samples of wine every month. So you don't get a full bottle. You get 600 mil samples of wine. Uh, and all the tasting notes and everything to go about it. And it's all boutiques, small producers from around Australia. So the whole point of that is to try the wines and then the ones that you like, you can order more of. So um, this came out of a passion project essentially. Because um, you like wine. I like wine, wanted to do, I, you know, I don't have many hobbies. So I thought maybe I'd, this can be a hobby for me. Um, and uh, It kind of legitimizes drinking as a hobby, you know. It's yeah, kind of like. It's a tax deduction. Yeah, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm doing business here. I'm not just having a drink. Yeah. So um, that, that was ticking along for a few years and, um, you know, growing but not a lot of effort put into it. It wasn't really making money but it wasn't losing money, just sort of just sitting there doing its thing and just sort of fulfilling a need for myself. But I really like that concept because I hear it so much, people saying – people that have great businesses, successful business operating, they're saying, oh, I, re- I really want to do something on the side, like really just a passion project or just like a hobby business. Yeah. And it's kind of an odd concept because it's like, <laughs> well, you've got a business, it's doing well. Why would you want to take away – you know, why would you want to take attention mm. away from – business because whatever you focus on is what's going to work yeah and i guess what are your thoughts on it has it taken away from your other businesses yeah, definitely. or was it a, oh it did okay it definitely <laughs> took away no no <laughs> I thought you'd be like no it was just a really creative outlet <laughs> no it, def- it definitely took away but what it allowed me to realize is what is my passion and so through doing this like i you know were quite interested in in marketing um to consumers and before i couldn't do that because i was in a b2b model so i started to learn more about digital marketing and going down this this passion of mine and so now that's turned into you know, a much larger business um, and, you know, thanks to COVID as well, out of necessity. But um, Oh, the Secret Bottle became yeah, bigger because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So um, – That makes sense. Everyone was stuck at home drinking. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone's stuck at home drinking. But then, you know, when um, – so obviously Flair is, was hit hard. Fusion's hit even harder because of COVID. Um, Flair has other sources of, of uh, revenue as well. We also do media production and um, – and that kept going. So that was a bit of revenues coming in. But what do we do with the rest of the employees who are sitting around doing nothing? JobKeeper's great, but, you know, half of them didn't, weren't eligible for JobKeeper. Um, how do we keep them employed? So at this point, um, we looked at everything. And so Secret Bottle came up on the table. Not part of Flair, but something that I can help offer. And so how do we take our... Um, our work and experiences and apply that to the liquor industry. And so that's what we started to look at um, and we created another brand called Drinks with Dave out of that. 
Zoe Drinks with Dave. I but like that name. Yeah, it was our working title that uh, my partner Ian came up with. Was like, we'll just call it Drinks with Dave for now. We'll work out the name later. And then it stuck. Um, but basically Drinks of Davis become probably the leader in Australia for corporate, uh, digital corporate wine tastings. So we've worked with almost every major company in town. We've done thousands of them last year. And so it took, you know, creating experience, an online event using the technology that Secret Hat Bottle has with the wine and then working with our partners, Perno Ricard initially bef- you know, to start with and then branching out to other brands and and getting their brand buy-in. And, and so obviously, I mean, you brought up a great point. COVID decimated the business, the traffic of business for for your two major businesses. Yeah. I guess, do you want to ex- describe to us what happened or how you handled that? Well, I, I, luckily. Were, were you freaking out? Were you, ups- were you sad? What? Um, I wasn't, we weren't sad. I guess everyone just didn't know what was happening. Yeah, you're no. such an entrepreneur too. <laughs> you just say, oh, no, it's not bad. We'll figure it out. Well, we were lucky we had money in the bank. So the first thing was, you know, we've got runway. We're, we're fine. You know, we should have enough money to last, last through. But at that point, everyone's like, yeah, it'd be a couple of months. And it's fine. Um, so luckily, you know, the, the business was quite profitable before and um, we were able to sustain everything. But we didn't sit around and do nothing. It was probably, you know, a few a week or two of like everyone working out what's going on and then as jobs started to cancel and be postponed they're like okay well this is real now we don't know what's going to happen we can't we can just sit around and wait or we can come up with new ideas and and put our skills to use and so what what did you do we we sat around um sat around at the bar at our office and basically brought out the whiteboard and no no what, what were the ideas well this is the thing we started oh like, sorry <laughs> <laughs> really good to slack with people speak. <laughs> so I'm really the world's worst podcast host. I've got, I got. Is there lessons for podcast hosting? <laughs> I've got it. I've got a list. Do you listen to the other episodes? Yeah, yeah. And are they all right? Normally, yeah. Okay. There's sometimes it's a bit off, but most of them, all, all in all, they're pretty. It's all in the good. editing. Yeah, yeah. That's why Laura's here. <laughs> anyway, what were we saying? So we brought out the whiteboard and literally we just said we got sat everyone around. Even Emma came down. We sat everyone around and we're like, what are we going to do? No idea is a bad idea. Let's just start throwing things on what's working at the moment. Let's, you know, let's look at, you know, where people are going to start spending their money. And so we, we came up with a few ideas. I think one of them was sort of like a paddock to plate meat ser- delivery service because at the time the butchers were running out of meat and we had some connections to farms. Um, we thought about hand sanitizers. We thought about... Um, I think there was a thing called care packs that we started to create but we never really pushed it, which was basically sort of um, hampers of, of for companies to sort of send to their employees for working at home, like a whole bunch of things. But everything just sort of kept coming back to the alcohol and how um, there's, you know, it's, it's a growing sort of space at the moment and how, how can we do something different and unique with our expertise and experiences. And that's why you push secret bottles. So you end up just saying, hey, secret bottles. Wait. Well, it, it, so that's where we started Drinks of Dave. So it was basically an offshoot where secret bottle is just a recurring subscription, whereas Drinks of Dave is a hosted digital event where, say, American Express or Allianz or someone will come on, they'll have 100 people and we'll send them all the wine. They'll jump on and we'll do a whole wine tasting with the winemaker or the wine expert there so they all do it together. And oh, so chat. you were getting your brand partners and yep. and hosting digital wine tasting for yep. their clients. Yeah, and so be working. So St. Hugo Wines. Super cool. 
So Hugo is part of Pernod Ricard. So we work with them. They would give us access to cellar collection wines that you cannot buy anywhere else in Australia except at the cellar door and through us. So we have access to things you can't get. And is that what you're hosting at Cub in a couple of weeks? Or is um, different yeah, in, in, a, in a live format, yeah. So that's with Mom Champagne. So same thing again with Mom. We, and then we did some um, – took it to the next level where we did some live uh, webinar sort of experiences. We actually shot one at Cub where people could buy tickets to the event, cost them a couple hundred bucks, they get a few bottles of champagne sent to them, they all log in at whatever time it was and, and watch the live broadcast of the whole thing. Amazing. That's that's, that's a fantastic story of, of pivoting, utilising your skill set with your existing clients to provide a, mm. a, a product or service that is – newly relevant because of the yeah. given environment because of COVID. So basically what out of doing this, what we're, we're actually now, a genius is what I'm learning <laughs> in this podcast. So we, we learned out of this is that <laughs> we've come up with a new, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to. No, I was going to say, we should have done this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've found a new gap in the market in e-commerce through doing this, which is basically, basically experience led e-commerce. So the traditional e-commerce jump online, buy something, they send it to you. But Products want to engage with their customers. So how do they have an experience attached to, to the product? So through this, we've, we've got a few other brands that we've been launching. We're working with um, literally, I would say, 70% of like the, the major brands in the world are about to be onboarded with us. And so uh, how do we not just sell a product but give them an experience to go with it? So that could be through an online course. Um, so Drinks of Dave then also has a self-guided experience so you can go on buy it you get the product sent to you and you go through a whole sort of course online we can go through the tastings and do it digitally with the videos it's incredible it really is and i want to focus also on um exactly how cub has been amazing for you (laughs) the past (laughs) five years now honestly you've been a member for so long yeah all bullshit aside what is the, like, what's the thing, has Cub, I guess, impacted your life in any way? And if, if it has, how? Definitely. So um, I think when I first walked into Cub five years ago. Do you like, remember the first time? Did yeah. I sign you up? Yeah, I would have yeah, back yeah. then. I, yeah. I was the only salesperson. Yeah. And it was, just, it was just a wow kind of experience of like this place is cool. It was about three blocks from my house. And um, it's about, you know, it was, how do I be part of something? So that was like the initial Thoughts. That's but why you joined. That's kind of why I joined. I thought, look, uh, I made use out of the clubhouse all the time. Almost every day I would leave the office after lunch, skip the traffic and then finish my day at Cub and then, you know, less time in the car and traffic mm-hmm. and, and just get out of the office and have a different environment to work out of. But what it turned into is, is friendships more than anything. Yeah. And so I can easily say now that like my best friends have come from Cub. Isn't it crazy? I, I've been saying this more and more lately because it's really catching on. I'm, I'm seeing it as a bit of a trend. Even the members are saying it now. But our full-time job is making friends between business owners because yeah. when you're friends with someone, when you like someone, you're going to go out of your way to, to help them. You know, like people come to Cub for, oh, I want to find knowledge. Or, I, I want a great place to find new clients and all these things. And yes, that stuff does happen. But if someone doesn't like you, they're not going to help you out, you know what I mean? Like they might help you in the sense that, hey, we're Cub members, we have to. So they help you while we're together. But for a truly long-term valuable relationship that surpasses the time of Cub, it's that really strong relationship, that friendship yeah. that's going to that's gonna yeah. do that. And where like it's – Cub is obviously where we met, but we're catching up 
literally every week outside of Cub. Mm. We're talking nonstop on chat groups and, you know, we're doing things where, you know, when we have issues, we talk to them, whether it's personal, business related, you know, there's always someone around that can help you with something. And it's, it's just, yeah, I love it. It's kind of like business owners or entrepreneurs finally have a place to go to, to meet other people like themselves and to yeah. build those relationships yeah. in, in a nice way, you know. Yeah. It's like would you describe Cub as typical networking? Or not at all. You? Not at all. There is networking components and um, but it's not typical networking at all. How would you describe it? Um, this is uh, me doing a bit of market like research social, right now. Social networking I would say. Yeah. Like it's, it's about building those social connections first and genuine interest in people and then if work comes up, it comes up. And we're like, we've done a lot of work through Cub and through connections we've made at Cub, like a lot. But it wasn't pushing for work. It was just getting to know someone and they're like, oh, you do this, don't you? Yeah, can you help us with that? Yeah, that's amazing. And um, I just want to, before we wrap up, I want to go through a few things. Uh, what would you say, we always ask people a few questions. What would you say your greatest lesson to date in business would be? So let's say you were going to give your kids one lesson for business. You're only able to give them one lesson. What would that be? I think it's, a, it's about um, it's understanding your strengths and, and really honing in on that and also by doing that, understanding what your weaknesses are and then finding the right people to fill the gaps because you can't do everything yourself and I have tried to do most of it and which is in, in retrospect not the end of the world of like trying because I get to learn a little bit about different topics but I shouldn't be doing everything and I should – just be doing the bits that I'm very good at and then getting people who are experts in those other areas to come in and fill the gaps. Better than me at doing the other things to do those things. Yeah. And, and do you have a favourite book or something that you'd like to recommend uh, for people to, to read? Yeah, so I think um, I love, love audio books and so um, one that's sort of stuck to me a, a few years ago was um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr Joe Dispenza. And it came to me at a time where I was just trying to work out, you know, what is my purpose? How do I, in a bit of a rut, you know, what, how can I just be better at being me? And so this book was sort of, it's great at sort of breaking down, you know, how the brain works and the importance of um, meditation and manifestation and literally just, you know, being quite emotionally intelligent and self-aware. I've got to get that book. I haven't got it. I'm going to add it to my library, but... I'm a massive believer in manifestation as well. I beg yeah. ask Laura, I manifest everything. Yeah. I, I say things are happening before they're actually even happening and then they somehow happen. Yeah, he goes, he's a neuroscientist, so he goes into the science behind it as well. It's not just, hey, you should manif you know, manifest something because it's great. It's the science and he basically says that the body is your subconscious self. Yeah, super cool. I even started getting into praying as a form yeah. of manifestation because really yeah. that's what it is. You're yeah. kind of manifesting what you want to happen. Gratitude. And, and it's yeah. gra gratitude. You're saying, oh, if you do this, <laughs> I'm like, oh, if you do this, I'll, I'll do really good things for people, I swear. <laughs> but, you know, you're kind of like, can I have something? And here I want to give something. It, it, it is a nice form, a great a, a manifestation with gratitude. Yeah, yep. We should make a new book on prayer, Manifestation with Gratitude. I love that. <laughs> Self-guided meditations with Daniel. Exactly right. Oh, geez, you, don't, you do not want to get in my brain. Anyway, this has been awesome, my man. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, we should have done this years ago. I didn't realise you're this much of a genius. <laughs> but but um, to our listeners, you should go to cub.club forward slash podcast uh, to find 
more information on Paul, on his greatest lessons in business, a whole bunch of things. You'll be able to see the other podcast episodes and, and tips and tricks from all our guests. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. Hope you enjoyed the show.